All right. Hello, hello. Welcome to the What If We Could show. I'm your host, Kelvin, today. Um, we are discussing, as always, the exciting and burning questions around artificial intelligence and tech alpha. And today I've got with me all of the four technical co-founders at Mesh. So we've got Bob, David, and Kevin with me. And so really excited to kick today's one off. I think we've got a couple of exciting things on the list. We have how the executive hesitates amidst the hype uh, around AI at Davos, how AI's potential to create billionaires. We're also talking about GPT newspaper, an autonomous agent for personalizing news content. And we're looking at a couple of other things, such as how lawyers are being outcompeted by a new model or a new LLM study called Better Call GPT. So let's dive in. Uh, Kevin, you were kind of fascinated by that uh, AI at Davos article. Do you want to do you want to tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, yeah. So the the headline coming out of this uh, from from Boston Consulting Group, right? So no no small organization there talking with a, a lot of large companies. Ninety percent of execs cautiously approaching AI. So the the takeaway from this, from my perspective, is. Uh, it, it echoes the end of last year and and uh, the reports coming out of last year of teams getting together and starting to figure out AI. Uh, what what are they going to do? It's it, it's not going to be Chat GPT because they don't want to give them their data. But all the other reports and surveys said that they hadn't really got a whole lot meaningful done. I'm talking the, the large collective of you know call it enterprise organizations, you know mid upper mid size organizations. And here, here we are at the beginning of this year, kicking off the year with these ex same execs saying, "Hey, I'm I'm going to sit on the sidelines until this sorts itself out." And you know, I, I thought twofold. One is this is a um, a massive opportunity for the companies that get off the sidelines to be one of the ten percent. You can go make some big gains in the next twelve months and twenty four months that are going to compound. Uh, and 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 do some big gains against your competition. And then the second is that it really shows, I think, from from my perspective, these execs are thinking about this as a zero to one moment of I don't have AI in my business, and I'm going to implement the right AI. And now I have AI in my business, and we solved the AI problem in in 2020 at the end of 2024, 2025, and we move on to whatever the next problem is. They're not realizing this is this is the state of business moving forward is perpetual iteration powered by AI. It's a lot like more like software development in that, that continuous iteration than it is you know, solving very discrete stage problems in a business. So those are my, my opening thoughts here, why I thought it was interesting and why a lot of teams, I think, are going to be caught blindsided, flat-footed. Uh, by mid twenty twenty four and be scrambling to figure out what to do this year i mean the other the other thing I think that was interesting about that is like it's it's actually a certain class of c e o who goes to De to Davos right and you know there are you know so think of like the fortune five hundred the fortune fifty it takes a lot to you know kill those businesses right and so um in a lot of ways they don't need to change. Right. They, they don't have the, the they don't quite have at this point the pressure of competition. Um, they're not getting, you know, eaten alive by uh, getting eaten alive by whatever the, the next thing is. And so 
you know, the CEOs are feeling, you know, comfortable and able to fly to Davos, right? So I think, I think this, 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 yeah. And so you, you wonder, okay, it says 80% are, you know, backburnering it. I think as you go downstream into mid marketing and into long tail, like those are, those are the businesses that are, you know, fighting to do more with less, you know, they don't, they don't have as, as many, um, they don't have as many dollars to make big mistakes. They don't have the big audiences. They don't have the big, you know, sort of embedded products and so forth. And so I think that like all good innovation, it's pro- it's going to come from the edges and, you know, I, I, I and, and probably not going to start at the top. Yeah, it's an interesting question. Also, if you look at, I mean, I think what you say is right, but it's also a very different group of people that are potentially affected, right? Like I think what we've seen a lot with AI is, you know, it's, it's yeah, neither the people who are the sort of quote unquote highest, highest valued at a company, right? Mm-hmm. But you have all of sort of those middle layer that are easily to, you know, automate, yeah. right? A lot of the more repetitive tasks, right? All of sort of the, the mid, mid-level worker group, right? That's a lot easier to automate especially in sort of the quote unquote white collar sector, right? So like what you're saying yeah. is totally spot on. It's just not affecting the CEOs right now, but it will affect everybody who's like sitting somewhere in between that um, or, or f- further in the, in the company. So how do you think this is going to, going to hit them? Right. Because you're right. Like currently they can sit on the assets and do asset preservation for a longer period of time. Uh, but it yeah, is going to sink on an individual role. Well, it's gonna, but it's it's gonna creep in, right? I mean, so we see we see Microsoft, you know, embedding, you know, as Google, uh, Adobe, you know, so existing tools and existing UIs and existing, you know, um, things that run a business today, it'll AI is gonna creep into the embedding of existing stuff as opposed to be a net new thing inside of large organizations. Um, you know, so it, it, I think you're right, but it, it's, it, you know, it's, it's not like the CEO strategically is thinking, oh, well, hey, we're going to do a press release because now we're using AI, right? Um, like it, it's going to be, it's going to be, you know, a, a slow, um, internal change that happens with existing tooling like Microsoft, as opposed to a, a large business strategy. So that I throw throw a comment here, and then Bob want to hear your thought on this. That sounds right, Dave. That these enterprise organizations would keep looking to their um, longtime trusted partners that are already integrated into their business, the Microsofts, the Amazons of the world, for um, guidance on how to navigate this and where to get started and where to start implementing AI in their business, and entrusting them that they will continue to. Uh, those, you know, let's keep using Microsoft, will continue to help the business keep pace with the AI change and that, and they're leaning really hard on those partners. So, Bob, do you think that model will hold or is this different? Will, will relying on your large, you know, sweet partners like Microsoft and, and Amazon uh, get you there? Or is it different in the competition? Isn't the competition today for these enterprises? It's the competition for tomorrow. The 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 mid markets that can all of a sudden become uh, large cap and start punching above their weight limit because they are 
compounding that AI in three and six month increments instead of 12 and 24. What do you think? Probably in my mind, all of the above, right? Um, I think enterprises that stick with their, their big, uh, you know, scale partners, i.e. Microsoft, uh, AWS, whomever are going to get most of the way there. Right. I mean, assuming they're going to integrate it into the known existing processes. So they're going to gain efficiency for sure. If they stick with the, with the big vendors, I don't see that not happening. Um, I think there's a different way to look at this though, instead of like just improving processes and, and Dave touched on it, like making existing value more valuable, making existing products better. Um, that's a that's a layering system, right? So layering on new capabilities of the base and exposing new things, but that would not include net new propositions of value. There are going to be an infinite quantity of new takes on how to do old things. You're going to gain a bunch of value by optimizing the old way with the new tech. You're going to gain a multiple more devising a new process with the new tech that unlocks really the right way that everybody sort of wants that process to work, but never were able to on the CEO side too, just a comment there. Like, I think, you know, if you're, if you're a battle hardened CEO, been in the mix for 30 ish years, you've seen a lot of cycles come and go. Right. Um, we always look at, you know, the, the, the hype cycle curve as, as the, uh, the, the framework of, of an easy model to think about, right? Initial hype curve goes up, then you'd go down to the trough of disillusionment, and then you finally find uh, the slope of enlightenment to the plateau of productivity, right? And I think, you know, if you've done that for decades, you are, you know, you've seen this dance before. We'll, we'll wait and see once we hit the trough where the real value is, and we will jump on the train as it starts to track up the slope, right? But history doesn't always repeat, but it rhymes, right? And so you think back to like late 90s, here's the internet, I'll wait and see. Here's websites, I'll wait and see. Here's web apps, I'll wait and see. Here's a mobile app, I'll wait and see. Here's social, I'll wait and see because of that trough. And I'm convinced a million percent, I don't know if anybody could talk me down off this ledge. I don't see a slope, I don't see a hype cycle here on AI, I I see a laddering effect. We're going to have a, we are in the slope of hype, right? And I think when we touch that, right, it's going to, it's going to plateau and then continue to ladder up on a really, really compressed cycle Um, because we have not yet understood or even identified like where the disillusionment could even happen, right? We know that this carries value, efficiency, new gains, new takes on old methods for value. So I think they're going to be surprised on this one. The ones that are sitting on the sidelines, it's a long way to say that. Yeah. And it'll be in to that's that, uh, slope of disillusionment is more nuanced in AI than, than in any other cycle, because AI is just going to cover and span all industries, verticals, functions. And so now you're, you really would have to say, okay, what got overhyped as a function, as a niche? And that could happen or that can plateau, but yeah, betting, betting against AI, I'm going to go air quotes here, AI compounding. That's just now we're we're just saying the new internet technology and and you're going to take a bet against that. So I think that, you know, they're on the, the, the wrong side of the the mentality on that. And 
I have to take a couple you know hits to the face to 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 learn that probably. But I'm not, you know, Dave. To your point, I'm not concerned about the the enterprises dying or you know having a little more runway to get there. They will figure it out. They'll figure something out. They'll they'll figure out at least steady state. I, probably, what happens is the 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 CEOs have a ripcord to pull, which is more layoffs and pulling more people out of the organization to hit their number while they're trying to do that, which is unfortunate. Uh, but they're also probably trying to automate some of their work first, looking at growth opportunities too. So fortunately, it's probably net same strategy, show two slides to be beside one another in the exec deck, and that's probably what it looks like. But and They're going to this... have to make the, the, the SWAT graphic bigger, right? <laughs> Especially on the threat quadrant, I think is yeah. probably <laughs> when they'll start to realize that, that that box is infinitely like getting bigger and bigger and bigger where it needs a couple slides every time because it sort of encapsulates the unknowns. Like the biggest threat to our current business process is that it's obsolete. And here comes the one person startup that has a better mousetrap and it's perfect and it's totally automated. Great transition to this, the, the story that Dave, you threw in here. I mean, talk about people, you know, using, using leverage to do big things. What's, what's this one about? Yeah. So th this was, uh, this was Sam Altman. Um, and basically he he you know predicted that you know we're going to have the first you know individual like single person billion dollar business soon right um for billion dollar startup right um which you know in startup world like uni unicorn is is a thing right um and there's never been a unicorn that is created with one person right <laughs> And so it's really interesting because you know, okay, well, how does how does one person, uh, how does one person create a business that is uh, a, a billion dollar business? And you know, the the only answer is they figure out how to r replicate all the things that people would potentially do, right? And uh, and we've been doing that, right? So it's you know, and it, you sort of start to figure out, you know, quickly, uh, gosh here's all these buttons I have to push to like get to this end result. Right. And here's all, here's all the, and, and you know, and a lot of it is button pushing. Like, you know, I would say like the, you know, it's, uh, you know, and, and we, it's not like we haven't been working on automation for a while. Right. I mean, we've been all, all sort of been inside of marketing automation for 20 years or whatnot. So the concept isn't really new, but I think the thing that is, uh really interesting is also the the how quickly we can automate something and it be good right good you know and and um it's not just uh you know it's not just a variable that where we put first name in an email it is a 100% personalized email for the person on the other end um it is a uh 100% per personalized video for the person on the other end um and that that allows for one person to really do the you know ten x right. So if you you know and you know or more, right? All of a sudden, and I think it's really interesting. I mean, I've heard you say it before, Calvin. I mean, you are you know you have you've integrated AI into how much of your day? Do you think certainly sixty to seventy percent at this point? Sixty to seventy percent, and uh, you know and what do you think in terms of productivity? What do you think? Where where do you think you're landing? I, Increased productivity. Well, I think, how, 
I I think a hundred percent like ten ten x it. I think I think the big one, and I I sort of outlined this a little bit in 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 a post I talked about yesterday is, I think in the terms of time it has saved me to go from like zero to sixty percent and then you know go the rest of the way myself and I can do that in thirty seconds now, whereas it has taken me four hours before. I think mm-hmm. it's a lot of these like what might seem as minute improvements, but they make all the difference. And I think that's right. also interesting when you talk about sort of going to that billion mark or right, scaling up a business, right? A lot of it is then tried and true and repeatability. And now you start repeating. So you know what the process looks like. Right. And the difference with what we can do with AI now in terms of automations, and you talked about it before. Yes, we did have automations for a long, long time, right? The difference is now that now we don't have to account for every edge case, but we can get all those small nuances that we current, that we right. needed people for, or a thousand if and else statements. Right now we don't. Right now, now I just put something, and I've seen this when I build automations. I just put something in between, you know, which is my LLM transformer, right? And I'm I'm in there and I say like, you know, go fix this for me, right? Make this cleaner. And now instead of a thousand if else statements, I have one node in there that goes and fixes this for me. And so now my automations scale, they repeat, they work, and they account can account for a lot of edge cases. So now we are like in 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 that automation land that we always wanted to have but was sort mm-hmm. of infeasible because it costed just as much to get there as it would have been to just employ people to do it and that has fundamentally flipped and i want to, I want to give calvin his flowers here right calvin is a 10x engineer already day, day i met him so when he says i've 10x that's 100x and when he when calvin when, when you say hey it took me you know it used to take me four hours to go zero to 60 percent let's do a quick multiple of 10 on that Okay, so an average or a mid-engineer or an early entry engineer, that's 40-hour week. Any company adding in meetings, that's two weeks. That's two weeks of work we're talking about to get to like, hey, here's the 60% thing. What do we do with it now? And let's feel it out. And Calvin's saying, I can get there in 30 to 60 seconds. That, mm-hmm. That's compounding power. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. The, the, oh, go ahead. The fascinating thing is, I think, and I've, we've touched on it before, why I said sort of that middle middle layer or the beginner layer gets eroded a lot. Like what I worry about in that scenario, and I've seen it myself now working at this is it was already really, really hard as an entry level engineer, software engineer to get a foothold, right? It has been for the last couple of years, right? The bar has continued to go up and up and up and up and up. So if you've just gone out of college and you're like, mm-hmm. you know, nice, I've got a CS degree, I'm going to jump into the industry, right? And they kind of you know, and there's a lot of memes on TikTok where they say, you know, they want you to already have hacked it and be the awesome geoguesser and get all of that right, right? And you ideally have written the Python script, you know, that can scrape a billion websites and, and get recommendations and you build your first app at 18, right? So if that was the bar. And now we're at a point where when I work, I see myself struggling to work with beginner engineers because it's just like GPT is at that level, right? Mm. So that that's kind of... I think getting to a better engineering level is really, really hard now because like the mm-hmm. bar just skips you. Um, and that's what I'm a little bit worried about in terms of that development. If you were yeah, you like could... somebody coming newly into the scene, right? Yeah. I don't think it'll be... program with GPT-4 for, for, think about that, right? The level that GPT-4 is at and, and for all the grief people give it, it's not smart enough. Calvin's like, yeah, this is a great peer programmer to, 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 to go at. Like, man, what is 4.5 or 5 going to unlock for like, oh, wow, we got like a, a senior pure programmer sitting here beside me. That'd be, that'd be great. 
unless you're building, you know, mesh mesh like companies that are going to iterate through problems autonomously. Like my perspective here is AI is not going to 10x you except where your expertise lies, right? So like Calvin goes from hours to seconds because he already has a formulated question in his mind that he's trying to answer faster, right? Right. Without that expertise, what questions do you ask? He's still, it's like a student in, in, in school, right? You're going to have to go through the process of learning and build up that expertise. And therefore, I think the first billionaire solopreneur is not going to be lucky. That's not going to just randomly happen, right? I think that person is going to be an expert in a particular field mm-hmm. and have a really sharp perspective on where it's broken, right? And if I could have 500 sets of hands, these are all the keys I would punch simultaneously right now. Let's automate that. And I, I would go yeah. as far as say, I don't, I mean, the moment we see the first one hit, we're going to see the first 100 billionaires like that week, right? This notion yeah. of like the, the playbook being released of like how I got to a billion dollars by myself. If you are not reading that article, the moment it drops, you are not going to be one of those people, right? It, it will be a race, I think. And then it'll be a, a flywheel uh, expansion out to every nook and cranny you could think of around expertise. That's exciting. I think it's exciting. Yeah, it is. It is definitely exciting. I want to, I'm, I'm going to jump one here just because I think it fits very well in a sense as we're, as we're tapping into like, you know, getting human potential, um, and, and getting that to a greater scale. I think it was actually really interesting to read that World Economic Forum article where, you know, it was, it was an interesting thought piece that was released about, um, and a very positive one, actually. And I think that was a great stride in terms of getting, getting more push into, um, sort of the practice in AI. They, they talked a lot about, you know, ethical innovation and trustworthy practices and all of that, but they were kind of coming at it from the standpoint, you know, how can AI usher into an economy that puts people first? Right. So going back to the billion first first billionaire, right? How how does how does AI enablement look like in terms of putting people first? What does it look like to you guys? Like like Dave, what's what's your perspective in terms of that? And I I, I really love um and I, even this is I was I was paying attention to Balaji Shivashanan. Um and and he this was this was pre really me even getting deep and probably pre props um and you know he he has this vision of uh that where this is all going is is and where and really sort of uh, crypto transactions fit is is in this concept of um around around this concept of of bounties and tasks right and the future of work of worldwide work probably is not a job um that it is more akin to ha- having a specialty and being given a bounty to complete that task um and then coming back with proof of that task being completed si- and 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 then getting and then getting paid in in sort of um in in very very specific units of work right um and so it's interesting as we as we've sort of been through this whole process of automating um 
things around MeshMesh, we find these nodes, these things that need to be done by a person and can only be done by a person. And at that point, when there's something that needs to be done by a person, the LLM sort of, or, you know, the, the, the AI runs out of room, right? It need, there has to be a person that, that, that does the next step. Sometimes those next steps can be as simple as uploading a video, but sometimes those next steps, depending on the use case, it can be complex. Like they need to go someplace and take some, and I need a picture from a location that, you know, or I need, um, uh, or I, or I need a conversation or I need a, you know, I need a, a piece of paperwork, especially, um, you know, in areas that don't have, that don't have, uh, you know, access to the internet the way that we do. And if, if there's a physical signature that's needed or whatnot, so I, I really love this idea. And I mean, I think that I really love, I really love, I really love the potential of, of artificial intelligence to enhance human life in, in all the aspects. Like I get excited when I hear, I, I get excited when I hear about um, climate change opportunities. I get excited when with, the, with Easton, I get excited with, you know, anytime I hear about ways to make, um, uh, make, a larger middle class. And I hope that that, that, you know, on one level, there's sort of like, Hey, here's layoffs uh, from coming on another level. It's like, yeah, but there's also this, this, this whole new economy that is forming that, you know, it used to be, you know, before the world of jobs that we had over the last century and everybody needs to have a job, like people just made a living. This had a, trade and they did that trade over and over and they're a master of that trade and i really think that like part of where this is going is a little bit more in in that direction where 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 it's a it's it's a middle class trade class uh, middle uh, more of a middle class um trade economy as opposed as opposed to as opposed to a, a top-down jobs economy um and so I, I think that, you know, that's really what excited me about that article. That's that's so great. I the, the trades approach is, a, I think, a really good analogy. And it's it's out of our it's out of our collective historic time window for the most part, you know, mm-hmm. longer than 50 years ago that like that was really the thing for for a lot. A lot of people. I, I learned entrepreneurship from my grandfather and not that he not because he was an entrepreneur, but because he had a trade. He did construction. He did masonry. He he grew up like doing an apprenticeship in masonry and, 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 cool. and construction work, and then just did his trade, which mean, meant running a business, a very small you know small business. And I went and worked for him during the summers, and I I learned a lot um, about work, work ethic, and and the trades itself. But he did, like he never said I'm an entrepreneur. He's just like yeah, I just yeah. I do I do a living. I I make money for my family. I take care of them, and that's you know what he what he did. And yeah. it, I, I agree that there's going to be a lot more opportunities like that. It's going to be a, like, where, where is your competitive edge? Your, your aperture could look a little bit wider than like, I do masonry really well, but it's still like you were talking about earlier, Bob, where's my competitive edge? What do I really understand as an expert? And it may be pulling multiple topics together to then make a synthesized edge that is an advantage. Yeah. Uh, but e- even with the power of AI, you can't know everything. You can't be better than average at everything my it, it was interesting how you were talking about the gig economy there sort of unlocked a weird analogy right whereas like in in terms of um our lives right like we sort of all were playing uh 
like NPC characters in a, in a story before, right? Like if you were the merchant, you had a shop, people came into your shop, you'd say, how you doing? What do you need? And you'd sell it to them, right? Over and over and over and over again, or construction or whatever it is. And the shift that sort of clicked when you were talking there is like, now we're kind of shifting all of us to the main character in our own RPG game, right? Where you're just going on quest after quest after quest because you're trying to earn the thing at the end of the quest and your loadout kit is your trade, right? You're the carpenter, you're the graphic designer, you're the whatever it is, and you're just going from quest to quest to quest, still in the same lane of trade and expertise, but you don't know who necessarily the next employer is going to be. It's fine to have a quest being the merchant too, or the role at the big company too. But I, I still think I still see that those as quests in the same way. And I think the employer might. Too. And the future then is, is not LinkedIn. The, fu- the future is a, a, some system that doesn't exist right now that where your accomplishments are probably logged on a blockchain. Right. Um, and, and you, you have, you have badges and completion and, blo- and, and all of that uh, in the same way that you would, you know, um, all of that ends up being, uh, re- your identity for who you are and what you've done that is then accessible from anywhere for somebody to, you know, accept your, accept your, accept your task and, and pay you for it all, all in the same place. And so, um, yeah, it's super fun. Yeah. We had can, that. Can I get- remember when we had that idea on talking about sort of the 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 oracle right like we we've kind of followed that train quite a bit and i think it's it's interesting how we're on our end on meshmer side slowly getting to the point where ai is enforcing so much of our decisions that you could you could almost call it a little bit of an oracle inside of the organization and i have to say Mm -hmm. i'm I'm not against that vision at all and i think (laughs) if you if you put that out right and artificial intelligence in its most utopian scenario right is would be a very benevolent routing system to ensure that right. it sort of balances out needs, you know, across humanity. So if you look mm-hmm. at that, you know, that would be going back to your trade example. You are sitting here, you have your trade, you have your the favorite thing that you do, right? And you do it all day, right? You're just very good at mm-hmm. it, right? And so the AI says, oh, well, you know, there's a job to be done over here and it just automatically routes that task to you to do it. And so cool. that kind of becomes that balancing router. And sometimes the AI might make the choice and say, like, you know, this guy over here, he hasn't made enough money in the last time, so he hasn't had gotten a chance. So let's route it over here, right? Let's balance the system up. So if that's what I think would be the most, you know, utopian, and I'm, I think it's actually to an extent an achievable cool. scenario, but I'm saying the most positive utopian scenario that we can think of. of how it's to- not yeah. that new either. It's, it's scaled on an old idea, which is meritocracy, right? And a lot of businesses caught fire in like early 2000s, 2010s, where they were all going after meritocracy in an effort really to squeeze the most juice out of the skill sets they had in their resource pool, right? Their employees and let them do what they're good at. This is probably that just with much tighter, weird tight rails, but also an infinite quantity of pathways that the rail can take, right? That's cool. If you've got skills to offer and value, this is good for you, right? I think if you're struggling to find your place in the world, it might be scary. It's it's funny because Calvin and I were literally working on an automation last night, and uh, it the it was to to automate some task work that 
I have that's recurring. And I just, I said something along the lines of, I, I just need the system to tell me what to do when I wake up in the morning so I can do the most important thing. And it puts it on my calendar and I do that thing and, and move it forward. Like I literally want it to make that decision for me. I'm giving it the intelligence now. That's what the automation was to give it the intelligence to then tell me what to do and when to do it so that I can get it done because I already decided it was the most important thing. So yeah. it, that literally in practice in a, in a micro scale, I, I really yeah. quick wanted to, uh, I pulled a couple stats here before we move on from the billion dollar one person company uh, that, that I thought were relevant and interesting. So y'all remember when Instagram was purchased by Facebook for a billion dollars back in 2012, right? That was one of the first big acquisitions where everybody's like, wait, a billion dollars for what? 13 people at Instagram at that time, billion dollar company, right? 20, not long after 2014, Facebook bought WhatsApp. Another one, it's like, what? what is a lot of traffic, bought it for a lot of users for sure. $19 billion, right? Just a couple years later, you thought they're off the rocker with the 1 billion two years before for some rich kids of Instagram taking pictures. $19 billion for some chat app, 55 employees at that time. Cool. And those, those are flirting with some, you know, it's close to one person, billion dollar companies as, as you can get uh, and that was you know a decade ago here at this point yeah so it's it's not unreasonable what we're what this prediction not at all right? no absolutely not um as the next thing to get get us a little bit so i think we've we've talked a lot about the high level that the high level vision of where this can go um we have another one here which is sort of the gpt newspaper story do you want to kick us off with dave about it a little bit yeah, so this is this is a GitHub repo um, I found, uh, and it, it caught my attention because uh, we're we're doing something similar. Um, I didn't think that it was. I I, I think ours looks better, uh, not to trash it or anything, but I thought that it was a, just a really interesting concept. And, and as we start, as generally, which we've been chasing, which is like, how do you automate? Uh, how do you automate news? How do you automate con content and Content with a capital C, right? Um, meaning, like, yeah, it's a newspaper, uh, it's a podcast, uh, it's uh, it, it, it's a banner ad. Like, content is a big is a big um, it's a book, right? I mean, it, it, content encompasses a lot of stuff. So I thought it was interesting uh, just to sort of see this in play and throw it out there for other people who wanted to use it, and then. Um, and then hopefully we, we're going to have, have some stuff for people to, sh to, to use as well and share here shortly in terms of our, our newsletter automation and content pipeline. And yeah, so, yeah. And it's, and it's great that you sort of brought it back. And I, I, I found it fascinating, right? The balance between sort of this high level vision of where I can go, but how do I make it actually tangible within the now and here, right? And I, we, we mm. see a lot of people struggle with that, right? It's like, yeah, I can totally get where AI is going to get to, but like, what do I do today? And I think it's great that we're picking, you know, that we're finding a lot of these examples that might seem like smaller solutions, but they're very nice automated solutions that you can put in your day-to-day -day workflow right now. Like who wouldn't want to have, you know, a fully automated newsletter being sent to the inbox every day, right? Like right. imagine you just, you know, you're just getting the, the things that are most relevant to you being pushed to you every morning, right? Fully automated and, tailored to you right that's a great experience for you yeah it's and interesting it's going i mean back when to I... sort of the Cam cambrian knowledge explosion here right there right it's like 
if you go to ChatGPT, you don't know what you're searching for. When you get your email, right, you know, just being pushed to you and you're being bombarded with knowledge every day. Lovely. 100%. I mean, and it's really interesting, like, you know, like, is content, and I talked about content with a capital C being really, really broad, um, but content, even a, a bigger definition, includes pretty much anything that we say at any given time, right? And, you know, we've worked on pipelines uh, where we were like, oh, okay, uh, here's a call from Fireflies. We want to automate that into content for a follow-up email. Um, and by the way, here's another, you know, bit from that conversation that's going to spin off into a piece of content for the newsletter or a piece of content for uh, it, that goes inside of the podcast brief and whatnot. And so part of, I think, what's interesting is sort of tying it back to the expert, like sort of um, that the expert at any given point is creating content that has a mission. Right. And then it's just and, and, and the content actually is it is it is, is it the point that it comes off the fingertips or comes out of the uh, out of somebody's mouth. Um, and then off it goes to any conceivable channel um, is is really exciting stuff. Right. Um, we're really getting to a place where where content is can can, you know, as close as possible goes goes from conception to creation, um, you know, in like you know, three minutes of gen time, right? Yeah. Yeah. And Fireflies, the software we use to, uh, for note taking both internal meetings and, and external meetings, we have multiple, multiple pipelines and workflows coming off of those conversations, depending on what, what needs to happen next. So it, it's super, super high leverage to take the words that you're saying in a conversation and make actions happen out of it. Yep. At some point in the future, we will run this entire business just based off a of daily stand-up together. Yeah. Right? Once a day, I make decisions, it goes. So. Yeah, and it'll just do its thing. We won't be one person billionaire, but like, what about the first four-person startup to hit a billion? I, I, yeah. I'd gladly split it with you, Bob. I'd gladly split a billion dollars with you. I think it's Always. fascinating that you, talk, that you mentioned it with the, the Fireflies example. I, I can totally see that. And it's actually a lovely, lovely idea, right? Like we've had that a lot. You, you're in meetings and we know how meetings sometimes go. You know, you have them very structured. You have a very structured intro, but still like, you know, a lot of thoughts come up and, you know, you go left and right, you go in tangents, you have ideas and you just have a natural conversation, right? And I think one of the marvelous things that we've seen with sort of the automations that we played is how it then helps us kind of put that back into focus, turn it into the next clear action items, right? Taking into account all of the things that we wanted in that meeting and pushing it back to us as tasks, right? Like basically just, you know, here, Oracle system, take that regurgitated, compress it for us and give it back to me to compress. Yeah, and part, I think part of that secret here, like is, you know, where's the waste in time when you have, meetings, right? You typically have a meeting to talk really about what you're going to get into in the next meeting, right? The first meeting is like, hey, who intros, let's talk about what's on our mind, and then we get to brass tacks next time, right? And part of that delay is IKTs, right? You got to bring a lot of people along, they need to have the knowledge on the thing that you guys are, you know, coming together to solve. And uh, something really interesting about this new world is like this notion of like, not having to do IKTs anymore. Why? Well, instead of like trying to build up individuals' knowledge in the old world, I need to bring Kevin up to speed on this thing. Kevin is now able to carry forward 
the collective knowledge of the hive as he goes without even ever having to have an IKT. If I put something into our collective brain as an organization, Kevin has instantaneous access to it. So that I think that alone reduces uh, meeting waste for sure. You can go from the first meeting directly to the fourth meeting, right? Or at scale, there might not be a second meeting, you know, like meeting is kickoff. It's getting everybody's thoughts on paper in terms of priority and OKRs or whatever tied to this thing we're about to do. Everybody good with those things we just talked about? Yes. All right. Fireflies execute. No, that's that's awesome. <laughs> that would be a good next step. That's for sure. Um, that's a billion dollar company. Meeting efficiency <laughs> is a billion dollar company. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I think Fireflies is doing great to start with, but it's definitely there's there's a lot that can get from there. You're right. Like there's a lot where this can grow into. It might be challenge, just last, last thought on this. Right. The challenge to us is not to build the first solopreneur billion dollar business, but to create the first zeropreneur billion dollar business or not even billion just profitable business i think that the most exciting thing about our thesis is this notion that we could theoretically deploy fully autonomous organizations to do things and that's that would be the the nirvana finish line i think is when we achieve that that is a very that would be a lovely finish line to get to 100 percent. i think that, speaking of you know because this might scare a couple of people, right? They're sitting sitting here in their chairs, and they're like, "Who oh, help?" Is all of that getting automated? Like the one thing that that I found really interesting, and we we talked about last week. We talked about sort of the health sector, right, and a lot of the the facts that um, LLMs can accurately diagnose better than most doctors in eighty percent of the cases. Now there was another study coming out, which is called, and I, I actually love the title, which is called Better Call GPT. And it's basically, it was a study that was comparing large language models against lawyers. And lo and behold, it revealed that, it, that the large language model beat lawyers in contract reviews on accuracy, speed, and costs, right? So basically yeah. across the board, right? And this paper is like really an in-depth comparison, right? So they looked at, you know, everything... Um, when they looked at, you know, completing reviews in seconds, right, just outpacing the hours that were required by humans. So we're talking seconds versus hours, and we all know how a lawyer charges by by the minute. <laughs> I, and so I actually did, that's I actually just another did one in the pot here. Yeah, I, I did this. I actually did. So I, uh, my, my friend is going through uh, an ugly divorce, and I loaded all of the agreements up in there. Uh, I also uploaded, so all, all the agreements, I uploaded all the documents in there, um, as well as uh, sentiment analysis on messages back and forth and whatnot to basically like produce a, a GPT lawyer specific to her case for, you know, for $20 a month. It's like, you know, yeah. It, yeah. And, yeah. and so it's it's sort of a no brainer, right? Um, and it works. That's that's the other thing that's crazy about it. You know, I mean, it, it, there's some things that are a little off, but um, you know, and you want to double check. But at least for like fact finding and like asking it, like what you know, what, what's what's the what's the you know what's the bounds of this liability or what's the bounds of that thing or whatnot. I mean, it yeah, yeah. 
And like finding, when, finding loopholes when, in contracts, for example, right? Like finding issues in contracts, 100%. reviewing it, or just, or just like a very, I think, I think one of the basic use cases that this legal discussion has started with was for laymen who have no idea who are, are being put a contract in front of them, right? Help me understand, right? Asking questions about that contract, just getting reasoning from it, right? Just understanding it. Like that translation is just something that is unbeat by LLMs, right? And I think the, I think we've, we've had that notion for a long time and it's been discussed for a long time. The fact that now there is substantial scaled studies coming out that prove that, I think it's going to just have a, a, like a wide impact. Like, what do you guys think? Like, where is this going to go from, from this point? Like, what's going to happen in that industry now? In law specifically? Yeah, like in the legal sector, law, yeah. I think it gives a lot of optionality to the consumer of law services. So I think one, one flag I'd plant in the ground is um, costing your, your cost for legal services is going to go way, way down. Right. Partly because of the time savings of the law firm you're contracted with. Right. Two is, you know, kind of like, uh, you know, a lot of people take on contractor work when they build their own homes too, you know, like, okay, I'm not going to pay the contractor the extra, whatever to manage all these people. Like I'll take care of the landscaper. I'll take care of the, whatever just in an effort to save money. And we never really were able to do that in the legal field. Right. That's a really big risk calculus to take on the legal process yourself without that expertise. And, you know, at worst, I think there's going to be a bunch of time clawed back for folks being represented by legal firms to do some of that legwork themselves, or maybe better identify the right lawyer based on gaps. I think we're in a privileged position too, right? That we can, we, we can get a lawyer if we need to. We, I feel confident that any one of us could go find a lawyer if we needed to get, get retained services, especially if it's mission critical and make it happen. There's so many underserved people that just, that, that arguably need it more in a lot of scenarios and can't get any access and they're, they're locked out of it. So to bring, that to the air quotes long tape long tail of the the need for law services and in reality it's the majority uh, that that aren't able to leverage what they need it's going to be really really healthy i think for uh the for society it should be positive yeah well, so it's law, basically democratizing legal access right it's the one that's always poked out to me, right? Because if you really think about, like, there's a lot of intrinsic value of a lawyer, right? With the expertise in motion, lots of trials and so on. But ultimately, what lawyers do is they look up reference material for precedent against yep. their cases. And so historically, they spent a lot of time in the library, right? Looking at microfish, looking at law books of, of settled court cases and so on. And like, to do that literally instantaneously now, um, kind of interesting. So the question, I guess, to the, to everybody would be like, all right, well, what's, what's the new role of the existing lawyer in this new world? Like, what are they going to do to evolve and continue to provide value, if not attach, uh, you know, the, the liability to their organization for representation? Trust, right? That trust factor is something we've talked about of there's still this bridge between the power of AI and humans and not we're we're on the edge of this i i think was it calvin maybe you found this gpt uh and and so we're out here we're we're in we're in github repos and referencing 
white papers and published articles that have just been written. And so how is, how is go to the hundredth million person down the line in, in society going to go find the right one? Is this the right GPT? Is it going to steal my data? Is it going to steal my identity? All those questions, right? So there's still a great role to be played for trust. But then the, the question still remains from a functional standpoint as well. Great. So where does law level up? We talk about that in other professions of now you don't have to do that work. Now you can level up and come over here. It might be my ignorance of what every lawyer is saying, like, great, I wish I could go spend all my time on this other thing. But from an outsider, I, I definitely have that same question of where where do most lawyers then add value beyond trust it with the rest of their 90% of their time. And, and I think, well, and I mean, you, you asked the right question too. Like if you think about it, I think, you know, humans, humans just don't, don't like change that much, right? We, we just technically, we don't, we don't like to change. So we need to look at, you know, what is the risk of us not changing and have that be very present in our faces. And I think the lawyers haven't just haven't needed to change as much in the past. There wasn't, there wasn't a hell lot of change in terms of adapting. I mean, yes, you adapt to the legal situation, to surroundings, but the profession itself hasn't needed to adapt. So now giving this additional pressure, I think, is a great opportunity to have great change in there. For example, like what we said before, like can, can an A-class lawyer suddenly service the long tail because they can offer their services cheaper because 90% of it is now automated and comes at a fraction of the cost. I'm not saying this is what's going to happen, but like there's some of these scenarios that might come out of this that are now feasible and like just pushing the need to change and giving a higher risk of not changing to a profession, I think could do a lot in advancing it. That's a good point, right? So like the, the way the lawyer persists in this new world is through scale, maybe, right? So instead of doing 10 cases a year, you can do 100 cases a year. That drives price down for those new hundred cases, yet your net revenue probably stays consistent. Um, but that reinforces the fact, or I guess thesis around first mover advantage and laggards in this new world, right? So if you can do a hundred cases now, and all lawyers can do a hundred cases, there aren't a there is not a ten x quantity of demand for cases. So this is going to create vast competition and therefore those who adopt AI to achieve those efficiencies are the lawyers that will remain when the dust settles. You're, you're yeah. assuming it doesn't create a hundred X new cases though. There, that is, that yeah, is a concern by some that a lit litigious United States opens itself up to, okay, now let's have a thousand X, the number of court cases and filings and lawsuits because the threshold to do it and manage it. And uh, from a, a filing standpoint, it goes way down. And now we have a court system that's jacked and not ready to handle that because it didn't come along with the automation early enough because uh, they're not incentivized to. Yeah. And then, and then, and then we introduce AI courts, right? The AI ju uh, judge will hear your case now. It's decided. Yeah. The three seconds <laughs> is now decided and uh, you won. Futurama <laughs> stuff right there. Yeah. So we got, I mean, stuff. I don't. I don't know. I mean, a lot of the a lot of the like paperwork is actually already templatized, you know, and it's not like an AI can walk into a courtroom and like, you know, you guys have heard the story where like the, the AI was coming up with its own case law. Right. And like, so 
I still think there's a lot of room for judge for for lawyers. Like I I don't know, man. I think it's like I think it's like morticians and judge and lawyers are going to be the last ones on earth. Yeah. But this is what I'm thinking. I think it's just a great addition of pressure to evolve potentially, right? Maybe that's that's the best thing that we could get out of it. Maybe you're right. But the yeah. profession is not going to go anywhere. I think the thing too is like you better pay attention and and at least put some cycles behind trying to figure out how it impacts right. your life. Right. Lawyers it's it's get better. You are. Yeah. It'd be yeah. interesting to have. We should. We should have. We should find. I would love to find a lawyer who's actually like in it. You know, um, <laughs> going hard after it, and you know, and get get him on here or her on here. Yeah, and, yeah let's get uh, on the podcast. It'd be fun. Yeah, hundred percent. I want to I um, know what they're doing. As we're coming up on time here, I think there's one last story that's maybe kind of fun to share. Bob, you want to want to get into the toothbrushes? That's a bit. I, I do. I'll, I'll start with a retraction because when you read the article itself, um, apparently it, the original article was in German and it was mistranslated. The, the German author used the toothbrushes as an illustrative point of what, like what kind of bad things could happen with connected devices. Get out of here. In the article, and they just printed the retraction at the top like yesterday or something. But it's like oh. this was the poor translation. It like could, the word hey, could I screwed us again. Yeah, <laughs> translated could to did like could occur, did occur, and people ran with it. But it's so maybe that's just for the that's for the, the listeners story right here. there. Like we just need to stop. That's the story. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mistranslated the whole the whole article from one land language to another, and so what was what was a possibility was called fact, and now yeah. has been changed back to a possibility. Yeah. So just just yeah, for the for the for the listeners here, um, the original story was that three million malware infected smart toothbrushes were used in a Swiss DDoS attack to bring down the website. Um, so it's kind of a fun fact that uh, this there was, was no toothbrushes then. used to bring down the website. No, no. no. I, I blame the German dialect for that, but uh, you know, Galvin, <laughs> yeah, but. No, yeah, it, it not, not going to lie. There is some confusion in that language. You no, know, even the false stories, there's something to pull out of it, right? And, I, you know, my mind went, when I originally started reading it, I was like, all right, how does this connect to AI? It huh. replaced the word toothbrush with agent. And, uh, you know, it's something to consider. Like, what happens if uh, your your mesh, your your agent network is infiltrated? That That's bad, but... Uh, the scarier part is like, what happens when your agents decide a DDoS attack is the best course of action? Right? Kind of like a, another article we had seen around um, AI playing war games, and it always it always ended in a nuclear strike. This was from like last week, because yeah. quote the AI said, "I just want peace in the world." You know, so toothbrush AI, whatever. Like, important to lock your your stuff down. Yep. This reminds me of the the story back in like 2000 where it was rumored you could take a bunch of PlayStation 2s and make them uh, cluster together to make a supercomputer that could launch missiles and stuff and they couldn't be sold in Iraq or that Iraq had a bunch of them or something like that. And it was this whole thing. And I'm just thinking that was, you know, have my PlayStation 2 sitting there. Like that that thing's not launching any missiles. Like look how, look how few polygons we're getting out of this thing. It's not launching any missiles. <laughs> 
No yeah, super much computer, computer you need in a DDoS, yeah, per device. Not that much, really. Why is Kevin in prison? <laughs> oh, he sold his PlayStation to some guy in the Middle East. So just the wrong. <laughs> well, on that note, I, th I think as we're approaching the hour here, I think um, a lot of fascinating stories this week. Um, thank you very much for tuning in. Um, and as always, if you want to find more new stories like this and sort of get your daily dose of it, um, head over to meshmesh.io and subscribe to our very AI automated newsletter. Um, and see you next time. Thanks, everyone. See you.